0: So if this is your first Sunday uh, with us or your first Sunday in a while with us, we've been going through a sermon series on the kingdom of God. Um, we started with the kingdom of God talking about how, how, whether or not you're aware of it, that that God is king and God is king not in a temporary sense, so it's not as if uh, God's kingdom had a beginning at some time, and then at some time will have an end. But God's kingdom is eternal. So that means forever past, forever future. God reigns sovereign over all things, and nothing at all can challenge his rule. Amen. Amen. (laughs) that, That is the reality of God's kingship, which means... Anything you consider impressive or powerful, God is more impressive and more powerful than that. Um, How we kind of entered into relationship with the kingship of God is when God decided to create. Out of his own grace and goodness, God decided to create a world and so, the interesting thing is, we live in this world that, that constantly lives in sort of a stubbornness against Him, going like, I don't really think I need you. And God's like, I created you. Hey. Um, and so, so we, we were created purposefully by God. That means that you are an incredible creature because you weren't just created along with everything else. But you were created special in, in the image of God, which means that you were made magnificent. That's part of this idea of God as king, is God then creating you to rule with him. And so we looked at a couple things that, that meant. One thing that that means is that you were created for having a position above everything else, everything else created, which means that that. Literally, when you walk around, we were meant to show the goodness and greatness of God to everything. Um, When we talked about this, it was like, you know, imagine walking down a trail and and you saw a deer, and the deer was like, oh, here comes the goodness and greatness of God. Um, (laughs) That's that's not how it is now. The deer's like, it's going to kill me, right? That's (laughs) because things have changed a little bit. So not only were we meant to have that position, but we were meant to to represent the power of God, so the rule and dominion of God, which means that his his goodness, that was meant to reflect on everything else, and it was meant to flourish underneath his good kingship, um, we were meant to represent that power. We were given place, which means a a place where there was no need for fear because we were protected. Um, Not only place... But also, in this whole thing, uh, ultimately what was good about it is that, that we were given the presence of God. So, so not only was this world created to, to be subject to him, but was, t- was made to literally live constantly with his presence there, this fulfilling, satisfying presence of God. His kingship, that's what it means. Um, as we know now, things have changed, and so what, what caused that, that kingship and that reign of God, the kingdom of God, to change is that instead of using our, our position and our power to rule and show his goodness to the world, um, we believed a lie, <laughs> which was, oh, you know what? God's holding something back from you. God's holding his goodness back back from you. And so, in believing that lie, what we did is we handed over the power, the rule, the position, all those things to Satan. That's what it says in the scripture, that, that instead of using our power to show the goodness of God, we went, here, Satan, you probably know it's better. <laughs> and so, so what happened to our position? Well, we abdicated that. We, we gave him power. We gave him authority, right? Instead of uh, living in a place where there was no need for fear, we live in a place where, where there's plenty of reason for fear, right? Instead of living in the constant presence of God, we live in a place where we feel the constant absence of God. That's the world we live in right now. And so, so I know every time I preach, I kind of I preach into that, that context is, is where, in terms of position, we're kind of unsure. We're awkward, Right? I don't know if you are, but I feel awkward a lot of the time, right? We're kind of we live in this place where we have uncertainty. Um, instead of going out and going, I know that I'm representing the power of God. We live in this place of subjection, and so that that's the bad news. And then my dad then preached ne- uh, last week on on the conflict that comes from that. Um, he looked at in, in Genesis. Um, where Nimrod, it says he lived in the face of God or against God. And then you have the Tower of Babel, where where people literally, like, they constructed this big thing going, we're going to take God down. That's what we're going to do. Um, and then Psalm 2 says, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? Um, and that's, that's kind of this, this culture, this ethos that, that we live within, is this, like, people living literally... <laughs> Uh, kind of in the face of God, raging against him. Um, even, I remember there's this, this guy named Chris, Christopher Hitchens who would debate against Christians a lot of the time. I remember somebody confronting him and they said, these are two things you believe. There is no God and you hate him. Right? Like that. And that's oftentimes the position that, that we take. Even if we believe there is a God, right, we struggle with that. We struggle against that. We live kind of in the face of God. And so this week, what we're going to talk about in regards to the kingdom of God is in the midst of us living in the face of God. And I don't know if you guys feel this. Like, I don't, I'll just say it outright. Like, I don't believe in your innate goodness. Like, I don't believe in my innate goodness. Like, I know myself, and I know people all the time are trying to tell me how good I am, which is weird. And I'm like, you don't know me. Right? So, so when I live in the face of God... What we're going to talk about this week is God's relentless pursuit of his people. Um, that God as king, and even though he gave us power and we, we so abuse that power, God has relentlessly pursued his people. Um, the, the example I thought of to illustrate this is, um, if you have kids or have spent any time with children around the age of one, um, there's this game they like to play called Pick Up the Ball which usually involves them being in their high chair dropping a ball and then you're like okay whatever you know and you pick it up and they're like ah, and they drop it again and you pick it up again right and you think it's cute for like 3 times the first time and then and after that you're like no hold the ball <laughs> <laughs> and and this this is kind of what it looks like with God's relentless pursuit of his people is is what we're going to look at is a couple of covenants that God has made in the Old Testament. And, and this by no means shows all his covenants, but what his covenants are is God's commitment to people, to love them, to care for them, to show that he will be faithful to them. And then, and then we are in that place of like, oh, I dropped it again. And so then God covenants and commits again and goes, no, I'm going to be faithful to you. So, God relentlessly pursues his people. So, we're going to do a lot of flipping through the Bible today. So, uh, if you have a Bible, or a phone with a Bible, um, if you don't have a Bible and you do have a phone, you also can download one on your phone for free. So, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 12. And in Genesis chapter 12, this is literally the, the chapter directly following the Tower of Babel, where... Where all the nations of the everyone on earth gathered to try to take God down. And so everyone was scattered from that point. And the amazing thing is, it's not over. And you know that because you have a couple thousand chapters after that. But but at that time, they probably could have assumed, (laughs) okay, God's done with us. But instead of being done with them, what God does is he chooses this, like, insignificant, nomadic, wandering man and says, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. And so in Genesis chapter 12, we find God approaching a man by the name of Abram. And this is how it reads. It says, the Lord had said to Abraham, or Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So this is the first covenant God is making here with his with people, that literally, he goes, from you, Abram, <laughs> which, which this is a wild setting. I mean, imagine you have no relationship with God. We can kind of assume that from Abram, that he, he had no real understanding of God. And all of a sudden, sovereign king of the whole universe shows up and says, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. The word covenant is used, and if you, you skip over to Genesis 17, And God confirms what he has said with Abraham. It says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer. Will you be called Abram? Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. So, so this is just the promise of God going, "Abraham, you got nothing. you are not the most impressive person on the earth, but I'm going to do something impressive through you that will bless all people." <laughs> and there's no way for Abraham to, Abraham to comprehend this. And yet what he is called is now the Father of faith, because he takes God out his word. And taking God out his word does not mean that Abraham is perfect. Because we see Abraham make some pretty stupid mistakes. Right? I don't know if you know the story of Abraham, and if I shared it with you right now, it would sound like the National Enquirer, right? Abraham is not completely an upstanding fellow, but what God is doing is he's going, I am committing to relentlessly pursue people. right? That these people who constantly stand in my face I'm going to find a way to bless the entire world. And so, from Abraham, we have his unfaithfulness. Eventually, he has kids. They go to Egypt. This is kind of a brief overview of history, right? In in Exodus 19, after the children of Abraham have gone to Egypt, they've turned into this mighty nation of over 3 million people, right? A people who have, again, stood in the face of God God says in Exodus 19, if you want to turn there with me, and this is right before God gives the Ten Commandments, which would be Exodus 20. In Exodus 19:6, what God says here, actually we'll start at 3 and go down. It says, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I have carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself and see you hear that that language of the relentless pursuit of God of people how I carried you on eagle's wings how I brought you to myself now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant that covenant language then out of all nations you will be treasured, my treasured possessions. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And this is so good. This is so good. Why? Because because. remember what he told to Abraham? And he says, If you obey me, and did Abraham obey God perfectly? No. All right. And then then what he says to the children of Israel here again, he says, uh, if you obey me, if you obey me and fully keep my covenant, and yet we find in Israel, again, this is called the Mosaic Covenant, that again, they break their side of the agreement. And instead of being faithful to God, they are unfaithful to God. They take the little ball that God's again put in their lap, and they go, oops, (laughs) falls to the ground. And so... So, what then will the response of God be? The person to lead Israel after Moses was a guy by the name of Joshua. Um, and Joshua, looking back, knowing all the promises that were made, he says, and you don't need to turn there with me, just in Joshua 24, oh, sorry, 21 43. You can turn there, too. A lot of you guys are flipping. That's fine. Joshua 21, 43, it says, So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors, and they took possession of it and settled there. And then 45 says, Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one of them was fulfilled. (laughs) And this is incredible, because what what you're finding is almost at every opportunity they have, the people who God is called to represent him are again turning their face against God. And then, and then the testimony that Joshua says, he goes, looking back, not one of the Lord's good promises to Israel have failed. Not one of the Lord's good promises to Israel have failed. And so as we, as we continue looking at how God treats people, I want you to look at your life and, and kind of compare. Because for us, it can be easy to be like, oh, this is history, but for, for us, for you and I, we can look back on our lives and we can see the good promises of God. And can you say that one of the good promises of God is you have failed? I can look at my life and I can say, none of the good promises that God has made me have ever failed. And yet why is my tendency to again turn my face against God? Right? To so easily drop the good things that he has given me. And God, again, relentlessly pursues his people, relentlessly pursues his people. God provides to Israel, after Joshua, a set of judges. Um, The last one of these is a guy by the name of Samuel. Um, And Samuel is an incredible character. But near the end of his life, Samuel has sons that don't follow God like Samuel does. And so the people, looking around at all the other nations... And this is kind of what we do too, right? Look at all the other people and like, oh, we kind of want to be like that. And so the people see everyone and they see that they're all led by a king. And so the people come to Samuel and they say, give us a king. And Samuel's disturbed by this. And in 1 Samuel 8, starting in verse 6, it says, but when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him this. Listen to this, it says, Listen to all the people are saying to you, It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? So where does the story begin? The story begins with God as king and challenged sovereign over all, good and great. And, and fast forward... <laughs> From us being created, to us living with our face against God. And here we find again, I think this is this is the perfect description of so much of the Old Testament. Maybe the whole Old Testament. Is God saying to Samuel, Samuel, it's not you they've rejected. They've rejected me as their king. And so so God gives them Saul, who is a, a king of their own choosing, like the king they wanted, which is a man who was. Beautiful and stood taller than the rest of everybody else. And he, he, he showed himself to be fragile, not a follower of God. And so, so God takes this, uh, this little pipsqueak of a shepherd um, named David. Um, and David was, it says, a man after God's own heart. And so God enthrones David and, and makes a covenant called the Davidic Covenant. Right, where God again commits Himself to people. So you want to turn there? We're going to go to Second Samuel uh, chapter seven. In Second Samuel chapter seven, verse sixteen, uh, this is what. What God is communicating to David through prophet the prophet Nathan, and just at the very end, it says, "Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever." And so God again makes a covenant, and this time it's like it's getting more and more specific. and And I think the best way to illustrate this um, is like, um, are any of you guys photographers? We have one proud photographer. That's great. Aaron's a photographer. He just didn't want to raise his hand. Um, So so if you're a photographer um, and you have those old cameras, you know, where you, like, actually get to adjust it yourself, right, kind of the story of the scripture, the way it works is you have, you have this crystal clear picture of what things should be. And then, and then we choose our route of disobedience. So, like, everything is jarred out of focus, right? And so as people have stood in the face of God, and God makes his covenants and commitments with people, slowly the camera starts focusing again, right? Starts focusing, getting more and more specific, right? The image gets clearer and clearer and clearer, and here is like, like a big focus where, where God says, through David, right? Through his line, and David responds in an incredible way, and he says this, he says, who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far, as if this were not enough in your sight, Sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. And this decree, Sovereign Lord, is for a mere human? Like He's just blown away. But even though David is absolutely blown away by the goodness and the greatness of God, is David a perfect, faithful representation of obedience? No. Man, even David, he couldn't do it. And so what God does is he continues focusing, going, no, David isn't the Savior, but I'm going to bring it through David. I'm going to keep my covenant and my commitment with people. Um, So if you turn with me to Isaiah, Isaiah 9, and this is going to make you feel like Christmas. 'Cause this is what we always read at Christmas time. Isaiah nine, verse six, it says, For to us a child is born. Right? And for us we're like, Merry Christmas, right? We're like, Yes. But but when they read this, they had no idea exactly what it would look like. Isn't that the wild thing? Like for us we're like, Jesus. But for them they were like, Oh, <laughs> you know, what will that look like? And what's, what's so good? There's, there's so much in here that's good. One of the things that's good is you see in here a restoration of that original design, right? Where, where God created us with position and place. A place where there wasn't fear. Where there was justice and righteousness. That was the reign of the kingdom of God. And yet when we, when we chose another way. When we gave authority to someone else. What entered was, was fear and uncertainty and all those things. And yet we see a restoration in here following that promise and covenant to David. This is incredible. So, so God's fulfilling his word with faithfulness. And it says, how will this happen? It says, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so every time God committed to people and, and said, look what I'm doing... He he knew that they wouldn't be the faithful party to keep that promise going. But God would relentlessly pursue his people and relentlessly keep his promise to his people. And so when we read here that he will come and that, that one who would come would be wonderful, a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, God himself would come. Not, these, not just these signs anymore, but God himself would come. And so what we find in the, in the celebration that takes place when Jesus arrives in Luke. This is the last place you guys have to turn if you're turning with me. You guys have been awesome. Um, we see the, the reality take place of this covenant that God has been making. Um, we see it in the language of this. And this is where you understand, like, for for a lot of us who feel so comfortable with the New Testament, you honestly don't you can't understand the New Testament if if you don't have some understanding of the Old Testament. Because because Jesus only makes sense because he's been promised for a long time. And people just couldn't wait for him. A time when God Himself would come to save the people and restore that kingdom. So we're going to talk about more next week is when Jesus starts going and preaching, he says, what repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And for us, what we should hear in that is the righteous reign of God that restores peace and justice. And I, I want that. I want peace. I want justice. I want, I want a place where there's no more fear and I can be confident of who I am and who God made me to be, right? That's what it means for the kingdom of God to be restored. And we should say, yeah, come, Lord Jesus, come. Like, I want that more than anything. And so when, when those who in Luke, like Mary and Zechariah and Simeon, get it, this is their celebration. I want to read you some of Zechariah's song in Luke 1. And verse sixty-seven, it says, uh, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. It says, "Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because He has come to His people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David." Right? And and for us, if we hadn't just walked through that, you'd be like, "Who's this David kid?" Right? <laughs> well, it's, it's because God had made covenants with people, and so when they saw Him, they knew this. This is a fulfillment of God's commitment to relentlessly pursue his people. Right? As, so, through the house of his servant David, as he said long ago through his holy prophet, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To, show us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness. Before him all of our days. And so this is the goodness of the gospel. is a restoration of a kingdom of righteousness and peace and goodness. And that's what it means when we finally, that camera that's been focusing throughout history on the covenant promise of God, finally clicks into focus on Jesus. And we see that the promise reign of God is reestablished in him who would come to absolutely vanquish the work of Satan. Amen. Yeah. Like, that, and that's the gospel. After all this bad news, this bad news not only of, of what we've done, but what we keep doing. Like, if you see in your heart that, and, and are, are confused, why do I keep, even though I see that God continually fulfills his good promises to me, why do I keep turning My face against him. So what is my hope if I do that? Well, the hope is is that God keeps turning his face towards us to relentlessly pursue us. And that's what we find in Romans 8, which is one of the most (laughs) comforting uh, words in the whole Bible. So Romans 7 going to Romans 8 Paul, even after Jesus comes, it's not that we just kind of step in line and all of a sudden start living with like righteousness and goodness. And um, and Paul has this confusion in his heart, and he's like, "Why, if I know the good, why don't I do the good?" Right. And so Romans seven is this confusion. He says, um, in in Romans seven twenty one, it says, "So I find." This law at work, although I want to do good, evil is there right with me. From my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin that works within me. What a wretched man I am. And I think this is kind of the call of all humanity throughout all of history, going, man, I see God's goodness and I see his promise, and yet why do I keep turning against it? I confuse myself. And then he says, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the laws of sin. This, this, This battle, this war keeps raging, but it says in Romans 8, and just this, Keep reading. We're just going to read the start of this, but keep reading. It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So those who find themselves in Christ Jesus, who are confused because we still relentlessly turn against God, he goes, In Jesus, there is no condemnation because I know, God says, I know your helplessness. I I know that when you giving up power, I know you. But he sent Jesus as your Savior, King Jesus, who would come, the Prince of Peace, to restore peace completely. That's the story of the scripture. So, how do we respond to that? How do we respond to God's relentless pursuit of his people? One way we respond to the relentless pursuit of God for his people is just seeing it, not forgetting it. Because for us, I think, like, honestly, it's incredible how I so, I so quickly turn back to to imagining that God has no interest in the world, as if God's forgotten it again. And yet the story of Scripture and the story of what we see, when we look back, is that God has fulfilled his faithful promises. So, so number one, hold on to those promises, right? Remind yourself of them. Preach the gospel to yourself, the second thing is, relentlessly speak the gospel promises to the people around you. Because I know that, that those who sit here need to hear that often, right? Because there's times when you go, God doesn't care about me. And you need, you need someone to go, no, wake up! Like, look back. When has God failed to fulfill his good promises to his people. And he has declared them forever and ever and ever in the coming of his very own son to declare love to you. So, so learn to take that and declare love to one another. Like, be bold with it. When you, when you speak with one another, remind each other, do you know how much God loves you? Right. Do you remember the times he has just declared it throughout history and rescued his people? Do you remember how he has rescued you? Another way that we respond to God's relentless pursuit of his people is to commit to him. Um, knowing the frailty of our commitments. To commit day after day after day to follow him. Because, because you are responding to God's commitment to you. You guys, you've seen this in other relationships. You've seen this in things like marriage. How do marriages work? Well, it's not because both people are just relentlessly pursuing one another. That would be great. But there's times, you know, even in a marriage relationship, where one person just has to relentlessly pursue and just say, No, like, I love you. I care for you. And God is relentlessly pursuing you. And think of the beauty of when you turn... <laughs> Not against him, but you turn to receive him again. And this is not a one-time commitment you make, but this is a day after day after day, you going, yes, God, you've called me to be your own, and I want to be yours completely. In Hebrews, um, the writer of Hebrews encourages the church. um, In chapter 10... He says let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. So let's let's hold let's hold to hope. Close your fists around hope and hold to it and don't let it go because why? Not cuz you're faithful, but because he is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good good deeds, because he is faithful. Think about it. Be creative in the ways that you encourage the people around you to love Jesus, right? Some of you guys are really good at writing notes. Some of you guys are really good at doing surprises. I don't know. Whatever you're good at, like, think creatively of how you can spur one another on to love and good deeds, because Just as you need someone to grab you and go, man, remember the goodness of God, I I need that. So consider how you can do that. It says, not giving up meeting together. Don't forget to do this. As some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And what is that day approaching? That day approaching is that day where Again, the peace and the good rule of God will reign complete over all things. Um, so, guys, I just want to invite you, again, to commit to him. Um, I want to invite you into that culture of peace where the justice of God reigns. As you let that reign in you, that can spread in an incredible way to one another. Um, and we can be that city on a hill where, the, where people look and say, look how they love one another. Um, so let's pray. And I encourage you just as we pray and as we worship, To think this week, both how you can commit, again, to God, and how you can encourage one another to do that. God, I just thank you for your love for us, especially as we we see it um, set beside what it seems like our constant rejection of you. Um, it's incredible how you allow us this space to ask you questions and figure things out. I pray that that this honest, simple look at history, biblical history, will remind us that no matter what we do, no matter our lack of faithfulness, you are faithful. I pray that by your Spirit, we can respond to your faithfulness. And, and just learn to love you with whole hearts and learn to encourage one another to do that too. Let we know that there's no better life than to receive your love and give it. I pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.